Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Workers' Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor, right here on 720 WGN. I'm Ed Maher from the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and with me today is Phil Davidson from the Mid-America Carpenters Regional Council. Morning. Hey, good morning. How are you, man? I'm pretty good. Happy Sunday. Yeah, same to you. Yeah, we're we're into December, uh, which I cannot believe, but uh, it's the start of Christmas party season. Yes, it is. So Best you know, time of the year. It really is. Yeah. It really is. It seems like everybody sort of uh, lays back just a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Post-Thanksgiving to New Year's is uh, usually a, a more of a calm month, I would say, at the, yeah. work, well, at the ho- office. Hopefully. Hopefully yeah. for everybody out there, it's nice and calm. Yeah. Um, but uh, I read something this week that I wanted to share with you that I thought was pretty interesting, and it goes in keeping with my lifelong philosophy, and that is that um, people who use the Irish exit, as they call it, the Irish goodbye, the Irish goodbye, whether you're at a party or a bar or hanging out with whoever, but just getting up, saying you're going to the bathroom and leaving, and not saying goodbye to anyone. Those people can save up to two days every year in <laughs> save time that would be spent fighting with people. We're trying to get them to have another beer or, you know, <laughs> Two whatever. days. Two days. That's, right. that's real time. I mean, who did this study? Uh, I don't know. Some guy. <laughs> some guy who drinks a lot, probably. But uh, it was it was picked up by a lot of, of national news yeah. media, and I read it, and it was like, you know, I've I've done the Irish goodbye for a long, long time, where it's like, hey, are you leaving? No, 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 I'm just going to the bathroom. And yeah. Then, out the door and doing You're a Uber. fan? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a, I utilize it pretty often myself. Yeah, I feel like, uh, and I, I'm interested, I wonder how many people do that. I have a decent amount of friends that do that. Yeah, um, because like once you, once you do the embrace, do you need to do the goodbye then? It feels like you got... Your your point across when you say hello to someone and you do your exchange and your hug, your sign of affection. So, like, do we got to do this again? Yeah, I feel like enough. I sound like Larry David right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know. Um, but enough people do this that I don't think there's any, any offense taken. But, I mean, no. seriously, there's got to be benefits to doing the Irish goodbye, too, because. Yeah. Let's say you uh, you don't have a strong will, and you go back and say goodbye, and a bunch of people try to you know lure you into another beer or a Christmas shot or something like true, that. True, true. And you take it, and you were okay you're okay to sa- drive. All you're saving lives. You're yeah. saving lives. I think the Irish goodbye does save lives. So uh, to all of you out there, if you're not familiar, it's okay. You can just pretend to be on a phone call and hop in an Uber. So what what's the term for their goodbye? Because I always associated this with Irish people, which both you and I uh, have that heritage Mm -hmm. where the party's over, everyone's getting ready to leave and you're congregating in like the foyer of the house, whatever. And like, as you're leaving, someone's like, Hey, so anyways, like how's, how's school going? We're like, they, they start conversations as it's like, obviously it's time to leave. Yeah. I don't know if there's a word for that. Yeah. It's gotta be stopped. Yeah. I, I, I think I feel like that's also, it seems to be a symptom of, of Irish people as well. Like my family, a lot of people like will be walking out the door. Like, all right, thanks for everything. Right. Phil, like, how's marriage going? <laughs> it's like, what? Like, we 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 this we can't start this pretty involved conversation right now as I'm walking out the door. Yeah, there are there are people who are big on that. Yeah. The all right, I'll see you later. My oh, mom. Yeah, call me. You know, well, yeah, I, I think parents too. I love sorry, mom. Sorry, yeah. mom. Yeah, my, that must run in the Irish genes also. I think so. Um, but uh, but yeah, the it's like the old uh, when you be in school and they'd be like well we'll end class early unless anybody has any questions and there was always that one person yeah who would raise their hand i've got uh, several questions yeah that kid yeah so this is just the adult christmas party version of that i think okay so but you know reminder to everybody as you embark upon the holiday party scene for work or friendship or whatever 
use the Irish goodbye. It'll keep you uh, keep you sober and get you home earlier and you'll get right. more sleep. Yeah. So yeah. it's fully endorsed by Bob, our engineer here at WGN. Way to go, Bob. Yeah. Um, you had some Irish news, didn't you? Yeah. Well, big news. Sad news. Yeah. Sad news. Uh, hopefully, we had some Pokes fans as listeners. The Shane, Pogues. Yeah. Shane McGowan died on Thursday. Uh, age of 65, which I think was uh, a surprise to a lot of people that he could go a that long. Old age. Yeah, well, considering all the damage he did to his uh, his liver and his body, but uh, yeah, I mean, legendary songwriter. Um, you know, after he left the Pogues, Shane McGowan and the Popes, another great band, but um, you know, a true uh, troubadour, champion of the working man. Um, if you're uh, if you're out there on Spotify or um, wherever you find your your music i would definitely put on a pogues playlist because uh they're great songs a lot about drinking obviously um it's irish music yeah but uh good good tales of um you know coming from broken homes and and uh you know working hard for a living and the good old days the good old days so yeah all right r.i.p sheen he, i mean really like one of the greatest songwriters in my opinion so my Irish street cred is about to go way down. Okay. Uh, but I, I don't know that I could identify a song by the Pogues. That a, I always thought of them as like a punk band, I'm guessing. Yeah, they're like Celtic punk. Okay. Um, they use traditional uh, elements of Irish music and, and Gaelic music with a little bit of like a punk attitude. Okay. Uh, I think it would be a decent way to describe them. All right. Well, when I'm driving home today, as I'm avoiding uh, talking to my friends and family, I will just listen to the Pope. Put on uh, If I Should Fall from Grace with God is probably the most popular, a lot of people would say their best album. All it's, right. It's great. Well, yeah. And of course, you know Fairytale of New York. Yeah. What okay. the greatest, right. well, I do know the greatest song Christmas then. song Probably ever. Yeah. So crank that one up over the holidays too, everybody. So that's your favorite Christmas song? By far. All right. I'm yeah. an, I'm I'm kind of a, a, a an old school guy with Christmas songs. I'm I'm a Nat King Cole person. Okay. Yeah. It's the only time of year, but I've as I've gotten older I listen to more Christmas music. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to embrace it more. I yeah. used to be the guy we like put on Metallica during the Christmas yeah, holidays. Like, I don't want to hear Christmas songs. <laughs> I know, but now like I mean, it's kind of force fed down my throat from my wife, but uh I'm I'm starting to embrace a little bit more. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a shame and rest in peace. Yeah, rest um, in peace, Shane. You know, other news in the death pool, I suppose, is uh, uh, Henry Kissinger. Yeah, that, that uh, made some news. <laughs> Henry Kissinger died this week. He's beloved by maybe somebody. <laughs> maybe his, his wife probably loved him. Probably, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of one of his wives. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Cambodian people are celebrating probably in the streets. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't believe he made it to 100. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Only the good die young, Phil. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, they, I heard someone say, like, basically, if you have no moral conscience, you can live forever. So <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, all right, well, we've got to take a quick break, but we've got a lot to talk about in this show. So stick with us. We'll be right back here at uh, the Workers' Mic, 720 WGN. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back to The Worker's Mic on 720 WGN. I'm Phil Davidson from the Mid-America Carpenters Regional Council, here with Ed Maher from Operating Engineers Local 150. And uh, Ed, what's uh, what else we got going on this uh, this morning? So this week, the um, something we reported on about two weeks ago, I would say, was the shutdown of natural gas work across northeastern Illinois. Yeah. So this is important because it's nearly winter, and the vast majority of homes in Illinois get their heat from natural gas. So these utilities have been doing work for about the last 10 years 
on modernizing the pipes. There's all cast iron pipes in the ground that provide natural gas. And this is primarily in Chicago? Yeah, there's there's work in Chicago on this and then all all around the suburbs as well. It's two utilities mainly. In Chicago, it's People's Gas, and in the suburbs, it's NICOR. Okay. Uh, so you probably recognize its name is from your utility bills. Um, but uh, these pipes are, in many cases, you know, 80-plus years old, so they've been replacing them um, and taking meters out of people's houses to keep high-pressure gas outside of homes. Uh, rather than inside homes, but the uh, Illinois Commerce Commission stopped all this work. Rather than you know studying it and checking, you know they're they're it's a mix of they're doing this because they say the the rates are too high and because um, Illinois should be working toward decarbonization, moving toward electrifying rather than right. natural gas. But they um, stopped this work midstream, essentially. Yeah, yeah, they they just said December work. There's no more funding for this. And in the city of Chicago, they actually. I think I don't even know if they're if they were aware the, with what they were doing, but they shut down the work uh, for the modernization program, all the replacement of pipes and updating. Uh, but they, they also cut all the funding for um, emergency work. So if gas mains break, or if you see a, a leak, or you know smell something in the neighborhood, like the the money for that is gone too. So um, people's gas filed uh you know to just a, a motion i forget what they call it but uh it's like a motion for reconsideration they're just saying like this is insane this there's no precedent for this but in addition to the safety aspect of not being able to keep up with potential leaking gas and not being able to provide sort of um reliable service for natural gas as we enter a chicago winter yeah um, there are also a thousand people just in the city of chicago that are going to be uh, losing their jobs in the next few weeks um, based on this because, you know, they're not going to work until December 31st and then just pack up their tools and go home. The companies are going to start to wind down throughout the month of December. So, And these are primarily construction trades. Right, jobs. right. It's, uh, it'd be equipment operators, laborers, pipe fitters, um, I think some carpenters, There's some right? carpenters, yeah. Yeah, so this is, this is a big deal. And the decision, I think, is going to wind up being reviewed in court. And unfortunately, it takes a long time to get there. But um, it was made by political appointees, um, five political appointees appointed by the governor, three of which haven't been confirmed, haven't faced a confirmation hearing, haven't you know vetted, been vetted by the Senate as they're required to be yet. Um, so, I mean, I would argue that you and I, Phil, are probably you know just as qualified as they are, which I wouldn't trust me making decisions on uh, the state utilities and you know keeping uh, modernization programs going. So. Don't sell yourself short. You'd be great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I do appreciate that. But um, but this is a big deal. A lot of people are going to be um, looking for other work, and there's a skilled workforce of people who have been doing this for the last few years and gotten very, very proficient at it um, that now they're just going to go do it somewhere else or um, have to look for other work. And if and when the Commerce Commission gives the okay to resume this work, um, you know, they're going to have to, you know, attract a new workforce to do it. So... This whole thing just... Um, I always thought the Commerce Commission was more advisory. I didn't know that they had... Typically they are. Typically yeah. they are. Um, but this this is all being driven. If you're asking me, this is being driven by the same kind of thought process that led uh, to banning you know gas uh, stoves in other, in in other cities. Yeah. Right. And, and there's been talk in the city council about banning natural gas from new construction residential. Yeah. So... This is insane for a couple of reasons, many reasons. So first off, 
the vast majority of people get natural gas uh, for their furnaces. I think it's over 90% of people in Illinois have natural gas furnaces instead of electric furnaces um, because it's it's reliable, whereas electric in a bad storm, it can go out. Natural gas, when was the last time your natural gas went out and you had to have somebody come in your house and relight your pilot? doesn't really Probably happen. Probably never, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Um, and then the pipes that are being replaced are also going to be useful for you know money that's being spent federally on hydrogen hubs and all this talk about clean hydrogen yeah, power. Yeah, and Illinois is going to be one of those, right? We're getting like a sure. billion dollars. Yeah, yeah they're, putting it in, uh, they're putting it in northwest Indiana to service the Midwest. But um, all of that hydrogen, if and when it comes into play, will travel through these lines, through these natural gas lines. Um, so if we want to shut down this um shut down this infrastructure it's going to hurt in the future um yeah yeah and 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 then as we've discussed many times about just the infrastructure that's needed for the electrified system going forward it's mm-hmm. like you you need to have service stations and whatever else you need to support um, all that energy being, and we're, we're, we're woefully inadequate and short of that right now. That's yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah. the, the vast ma- or the majority, maybe 60% of the, the electricity generated in Illinois comes from nuclear. Um, there's still a little bit of coal, um, but there's a lot of natural gas. And if they have to, if there's a massive demand uh, that comes onto the electrical grid, they're going to have to create new electricity. And to do that quickly, you can't build a nuke plant because that takes a long time to do. Right. So they're going to build small natural gas generating plants. So you can get rid of natural gas and uh, switch to electricity, and the electricity will be provided by natural gas. Natural gas. So or, or or they'll just get it through coal. Yeah. <laughs> so coal-powered uh, Teslas. Coal-powered Tesla grids, right. yeah. Now yeah, they're right. currently nuclear-powered Teslas, if yeah. you want to be, uh, yeah, be honest about true. it. that's true. I know, because I, mean, I, I think everyone agrees that obviously you want a clean energy economy, and that's coming, but For sure. you have to just be... Smart. Practical. Thoughtful. <laughs> yeah, you have to understand <laughs> yeah. the way that this stuff works. And uh, so anyway, I think that these, um, the Illinois, Illinois Commerce Commission, uh, the five you know, commissioners that made this move, it was short-sighted. They went way too far, and uh, it's going to result in, in calamity. So hopefully... And loss of jobs, yeah, which is never good. Yeah, I mean, job safety, it, uh, it's a it's a big, big fail from the Illinois Commerce Commission all around. So, um, you know, hoping that cooler heads prevail, that a, you know, a judge can step in and see, you know, what the authority was here, or perhaps... Um, the governor will take a look at uh, the potential fallout from this. So, yeah. Um, on, yeah. On the flip side, it was good news that um, I don't think we covered this yet, but they they did pass the legislation to allow for the small nuclear reactors to yeah, end the, the moratorium. Yeah, to end the moratorium on building new uh, nuclear facilities in Illinois, which has been in place for like forty years. Right. Which was, I think, a result of Chernobyl and the China syndrome and all the uh, anti-nuclear uh, propaganda it was out there for a while. And you know, I guess reasonably. So at the time, considering there, there was a couple of meltdowns that had everyone in a panic, but now they're going to bring those back online. Um, not the large scale ones that, like you said, could take decades to build, but um, the smaller nuclear facilities uh, could be a game changer. And I mean, you're talking about renewable clean energy, like nuclear is part of that portfolio. Yeah. Um, it seems like nuclear is back in vogue. I think even some of the environmentalists are coming back forth. And no, there's still the opponents out there, but. Um, uh, Oliver Stone just put out a, a, book, a good uh, documentary about. I don't know if you saw that about nuclear energy. Was he energy. for or against? Oh, he's he's all in. Oh, he's no all okay. in. He's all. You never in know with this. Oliver Stone. No, you don't. No, he's uh, he's probably the biggest nuclear proponent that we have uh, in this country right now. Interesting. Yeah. Um. So that was that was cool to see, and that'll be a lot of work. Um. For you know, uh, the construction trades and, and everyone else operating them. Um. So I'm glad to see that. Which again, well, this is. 
terrible what's happening with the natural gas, but yeah, I mean, um, electrification. To your point, it's something that's that's happening. It's coming. Electricity has to come from somewhere. Yes, but it's got to be gradual. You can't just flip a switch and think everything's going to change overnight. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about. Remember when Texas had a blizzard in 2020 or maybe 2021? And there were hundreds of people who died. There was like 400 yeah. people died because the electrical grid failed. It was cold, and they couldn't heat their they homes. They couldn't, no. So, you know, I putting- had a friend living in Austin. He said it was just miserable. Yeah, I mean, like going to bed with under blankets and coats and hats and gloves. Like, Yeah. Yeah. That's not your typical Texas evening, no. I don't think. No, they were all – they had no clue what to do. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we're hoping to see some some movement on that. And I think it uh, it's something that everyone should keep their eyes out for because – uh, natural gas is cheaper. Uh, electricity costs more than double per BTU. So uh, if you want to talk about switching to electric furnaces, it's going to hit you extremely hard in the pocketbook. And, uh, you know, these are just decisions that shouldn't be made on political basis. It yeah. should be something that considers the consumers um, and not, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, make uh, make an argument to elect someone president in four years or something like that because he tried to make a state green. I'm not saying, you know, that Pritzker's <laughs> trying to run for president or anything, but I'm not saying he's not either. So, um, you heard but, it here first. Yeah, yeah. Breaking news here uh, on the worker's <laughs> mic. Um, but uh, in um, electric news, we've got uh, a big sort of, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, like an implosion from Elon Musk this week? Uh, he gave that speech. Yeah, and, meltdown, sure. Tirade. Out of his um, mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Elon Musk, he was asked some questions. He was speaking at a conference. I think it was in New York, uh, the Deal Book um, yeah. conference. Yeah, but, New York Times Deal Book, yeah. Yeah, but it was. Uh, he was asked about how the UAW, United Auto Workers, are looking at uh, organizing Tesla. And he said that uh, unions are insane and that he disagrees with them just the idea, the very idea of unions because they create um, – this is quoting him, a lords and peasants thing. So he thinks that unions create a two-class system, whereas the rest of the world would say, no, no, unions result from a two-class system. Right, and, uh, you right. Know, the, the third class, the middle class, is sort of a result of uh, organizing and of unionization. Um, but he is he's feeling a little bit he, hurt. He's a feudalist himself, so what is he talking about? Like the epitome of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. the guy the guy coming from a guy with what, two hundred and forty billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh I don't like this lords and peasants system. Yeah, whose whose father was a uh what did he do? He was like a gem uh mine owner or something. Is that right? Yeah. That yeah. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, oh yeah, he grew up very wealthy. Well, um just remember we've sat and watched a man sort of uh throw away a 44 billion dollar company just because he feels like talking trash so (laughs) that's the guy we're talking about Um, but we'll be back uh, right after these words with the workers mic here on 720 wgn you're listening to the workers mic powered by the midwest coalition of labor and sponsored by megan financial premise health and voya financial Welcome back, everybody, to the Workers Mic right here on 720 WGN. Ed Maher here with Phil Davidson. And, uh, Phil, you were telling me during the break that you had read that pensions might be making a comeback in America. That's right. Big Uh, news. Big, big, big news. Again, something that uh, I think us in the labor movement can take credit for. But um, that was a big uh, sticking point in the negotiations with UAW and the automakers about getting their pensions back. Yeah, they they had given them up when times were tough in 2007 with the hope that, you know, one day things will be better. We've done the company a favor. The company will give it back to us. And 
of course, as we saw for the ensuing 15 years, the company just said, ha, no. Yeah, good one. Right, not. right. They got, they got the 25% raise, but no. No they, kidding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but they weren't able to to win um, the uh, the negotiation for uh, bring back pensions. But that obviously, um, because this was such a, uh, a large-scale uh, organizing effort that really took the nation by storm, um, it, it raised a lot of attention around uh, the corporate world about like looking at pensions again in um the, the, the article i read said that like ibm and some other companies are looking at the possibility of reinstituting those right because i think right now it's like it's under 10 percent of the country for sure it has a pension yeah and i mean workers want them businesses i think typically don't want them because they can uh pay much much less into a 401k and then when it's time for the worker to retire they can just get a job working somewhere else or get you know, some sort of uh, federal relief or something if they can't afford it. It's not the company's problem. So their goal Correct. is to pay as little as they can in benefits. So I would imagine if they're talking about doing this, it must be coming from, um, you know, demand from employees. Yeah. And I I, I think there's a case to be made that um, th- that it could be more cost effective for a company now. I, I don't know the full details of it quite yet, but um, especially when you consider what the compensation that more and more employees are requiring now to keep right. them, you know, uh, you know, employed with your organization, because as, as we know, this new generation is, um, I think, driven a lot apart by union organizing and, and union activity of saying, like, look, we're not going to take it anymore, <laughs> right? We, if you, right. if, if you want to keep the best and the brightest, you need to offer them the best uh, compensation packages available, and, and people want they want a defined benefit, and they want. To know there's going to be stability in their retirement, which again was what you know uh, the unions provide for their members, and especially here in, in uh, the building trades that we represent. About a year ago, there was a movement, and and for many years actually, probably the last five years, there's been a push from Google employees, and yeah. a lot of Google employees have been fired for trying to lead these efforts. But um, these Google employees said, um, you know, they recognize that this is a, a space where you don't often see union organizing. But they said, yeah, the pay is great, but it doesn't really matter if the pay is great when you don't get insurance or your insurance is terrible. Um, so there's more than there's more than just salary. And even Correct. you know highly paid groups of workers like tech workers um, are recognizing that, hey, this won't last forever. We've seen little hiccups in the economy where, you know, Twitter uh, – well, Twitter uh, is a bad example because Elon just bought it and fired everybody. But uh, where other tech firms uh, just do mass layoffs and all of a sudden there are, you know – five million tech workers looking for the same, you know, one million jobs across the country. So they're looking for, for things in addition to pay. Um, yeah. So yeah, and that's I think that's what companies are responding to. And in the article I read said that, you know, indeed, which is a job posting board, um, found that while the number of job postings that mentioned pensions remain low, those searches are up 130% over the last couple of years. That's interesting. Yeah. So so companies, I think, are, are realizing, that, look, if, again, if we want to attract people um, and we want the best available employees in the marketplace, we might need to reconsider our, our benefit plans. And again, I mean, in, in, in what are they using by comparison? Workers who are looking for that? What we get in the unions. Right. You know? Well, there was a few weeks ago, we reported on an op-ed that I think it was either in the New York Times or the, uh, the Wall Street Journal. But it was somebody from a, a right-leaning think tank that basically said, um, for the sake of the country, work or older Americans have to work longer and take less. That's so right. That's right. It was yes. basically like people are living longer, so you have to work you know, further into your 60s or into your 70s. You have to be prepared to take less Social Security. It's you know, time to keep working because 
people are just living longer. And living longer, I think, is the argument for pension plans because a 401k or a defined contribution plan where you just pile money into it and the day you stop working, you've got a pile of money and that's supposed to last you the rest of your life. If something bad happens to the market, that pile gets smaller. Good luck, yeah. Um, and could you know send you back to work as it did for a lot of people back in you know the the early 2010s as uh you know the government uh, the the economy just fell apart um but uh you know if if that's the alternative uh well you know you're going to live longer so you have to work till you're 70 yeah just work forever yeah if you're if you're in construction for example working till you're 70 that's not just something not, where it's like oh he doesn't feel like working it's like it's, no your body gets it's old dangerous your body gets tired <laughs> yeah. um and i think that goes for everybody Every, anytime you see you walk into a store and you see a greeter who um, you know, isn't there because they're looking for something to do, but is there because they're trying to afford their prescriptions in retirement or something? It's it's uh, just kind of a sad thing, yeah, and it's hard to see. Um, you know, something that I think we 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 all wish we didn't have to see quite as much of. Um, but on the topic of this, um, there was a study by UBS, a big you know global investment firm, um, that said that as an average billionaires amass more of their wealth through inheritance than wealth creation. So, you know, whereas there are a lot of wealthy folks who like to tell everyone else, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you got to be a self-made man, oh, God. that whole thing. Uh, the numbers would say that globally amongst billionaires, the vast majority are inheriting their money. Yeah. And it's a topic we've talked about a lot because it's um, it's a system I think ordinary middle class blue collar folks don't think about you know, passing along wealth to the next generation because we typically don't think of what we have as wealth. Yeah, you know I mean, mean, pretty much it's the home. Right. I mean, that's 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 the wealth that you're passing down from one generation to another. So the way that that we and we've had guests come in and talk about this in the past, and Ken, uh, you know, brings this up uh, pretty frequently is the way to the best way to pass on wealth to your next generation is through life insurance, mm-hmm. um, like. More life insurance, perhaps, than you need. But if you can afford life insurance, get a big policy. And when you're gone, your children can in- inherit that. They can take on, you know, tax-free money in many cases. Um, that and, uh, you know, trust, like estate planning. So um, billionaires are doing this, and it's working pretty well for them. It sounds like it. <laughs> so this is something that middle-class people have got to uh, have got to look into. So if you're a union member, uh, like with the Midwest Coalition of Labor, um, there is currently the open enrollment for life insurance, low-cost life insurance. Check that out. Um, there are le- union legal services that provide uh, heavily discounted um, formation of a trust, uh, will services, all that kind of estate planning. This stuff is very important, and it doesn't. it's not very expensive. It doesn't take a ton of time to do. And if you love your kids, which I hope you do, or love your spouse, which I hope you do also, think about taking care of them, thinking about, you know, giving your uh your next generation or your family something to uh to to really you know get started with give them you know a leg up in their in their lives uh help pay for education whatever but that's how the middle class can do these things we won't do it on the same scale as billionaires do but uh that's not to say that we can't really really um start to kind of build gradual wealth within generations of our of our blue collar family absolutely um, i really like how you wove that plug in there too that was very you like that? That was very, very well. well That's very not well really done. a plug. Go out and buy life insurance, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> this is just a cheap place to get it. This is also open enrollment for the MCL. Right, through the Correct. end through the end of December. So um, the show is powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor. So if your union is part of the Midwest Coalition of Labor, this is the cheapest uh, life insurance you're going to get. And no matter what's wrong with you. Yeah, no tests. No tests, no, no questions, questions no medical exams. So 
there's really nowhere as a construction worker that you're going to find that. No. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to just plan for the future. Um, because workers are struggling. We're, uh, we've got a video that, uh, we are posting on our Facebook page. It went kind of viral this week where it was a nurse who works full time. You know, a nurse is a good job. She's got a college degree. Her husband works full time. Um, they have good jobs and she's just looking into the camera and weeping, um, because they cannot get out of the, uh, paycheck to paycheck life. Um, you know, they, they are trying to be frugal, both working full time. They've got kids and they're just paycheck to paycheck. And there are a lot of folks listening who are probably living paycheck to paycheck and hopefully getting by paycheck to paycheck. Um, and that's because it's not an uncommon thing anymore. It's, it's the majority of Americans, right? Right. There was a stat that I looked up because I, I, I dug into this after seeing this, uh, this woman, because, um, it's a, it's a very sad thing, but I think it's very familiar. Um, and we all know folks that are in these situations where despite a good education and a good job, you're just struggling to get by because things are so expensive. And, uh, CNBC reported that the number of Americans living paycheck to paycheck is 60%, 60% of working Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So if your furnace goes out, it's a crisis. If somebody gets sick, it's a crisis. Um, there's no wiggle room left. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that's because people are reckless. Uh, I think it's just because there's, you know, the, the state the, of our economy, the right. system isn't really built uh, for that anymore. Things aren't affordable. Yeah. I know, you know, homes are homes are getting difficult to afford. You talk to someone from Gen Z there. I mean, they've pretty much given up hope on the idea of you're buying property or owning a home. I mean, right. it's it's and, and that's why, again, and people talk about unions and I mean, how you could ever be on the opposite side there when like. Unions are trying to provide a way forward for workers like this nurse, right. like people in construction trades, like anyone in sort of any sector you're working in, yeah. to participate in that middle class and to be able to afford things that where you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Like, why is that that some people are anti-union and anti-building up? Or the middle class where it is just it, I mean it, if you don't if you don't support that you're basically supporting a race to the bottom you're supporting people six percent of the country who can't afford to pay their bills uh, beyond you know a weekly base beyond a you know a monthly base whenever they're getting paid is just uh, and, and you know couple that with the cost of daycare the cost of education if you're gonna go, daycare it, is insane it's 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 unbelievable um when and, I, yeah when my daughter was born and this is thirteen years ago um, we looked into this and I was like wait wait that's Oh, I thought I thought that was a month. That's a week. That's per week. <laughs> yeah, How do people have children? Can I bring your kid to work day every day? Right. Um, yeah, that's every, it, so. Every, every I mean, every policy in this country should be about how do we elevate the middle class and the working class, and how do we get people so they can have some financial comfort. I mean, it, it, because we again, like, w- w- look where we're headed towards if sixty percent of the country. Is living paycheck, living paycheck to paycheck. And I can't that's, think that's a that recipe that, for disaster. I can't think that number is going down either. No, you know, unfortunately. No. Um, but uh, so in billionaire news, uh, <laughs> it kind of ties in with some of the stuff. Jeff Bezos backed a company, and it's called Arrived. Um, and what this company does is provides people the opportunity to invest as little as a hundred dollars into a fund that goes out and buys homes in residential neighborhoods and rents them, like okay. buying rental homes. It's a big fund. For rental homes, so, so like like 
mortgage-backed securities kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it sounds mysteriously yeah. like the thing that destroyed our economy <laughs> yeah, in 2008. Exactly. But, okay. but there's more to Let's it than it that yeah. because it's like, oh, I'll invest in real estate. You're a person, you put in a couple hundred or a couple thousand bucks and they spend it to buy houses and turn them into rental properties. Okay. Um, and these are investors building rental properties. So the, the what's going to happen to the rental prices? They're going to go up. Yeah. So folks who can't uh, qualify for a mortgage, for example. And it's insane because people who can't qualify for a mortgage at you know $2,000 a month typically have to go rent for $3,000 a month. Correct. Um, but that, that rental price will probably be going up because it's not somebody who owns a house and is renting it out. It's, uh, you know, uh, an investment company with an obligation to its shareholders to, right, to make right. as much money as possible. So now, are they buying properties or building yes, properties? They're, they're bu- well, they're buying okay. and uh, renovating properties. Okay. Um, so this is Jeff. I'm Bezo. sure all union contractors. Oh, you, you, how how could it not be? Um, but yeah, Jeff Bezos. This is his uh, his his latest uh, idea to latest make a, venture a few hundred billion more by squeezing a little bit extra out of people that are uh, you know struggling that to can't afford, afford it. Rent. Yes, right. Um, so thanks, Jeff. We, you know always appreciate that yeah this will end well yeah um stay with us here on 720 wgn we'll be right back with the workers mic you're listening to the workers mic powered by the midwest coalition of labor and sponsored by megan financial premise health and voya financial welcome back everybody to the workers mic here on 720 wgn we're powered by the midwest coalition of labor i'm ed maher here with phil davidson so phil um we were talking during the break and you said you had just come back from a uh, – you work for the Carpenters Union, and you had just come back from a delegates meeting. Uh, so I don't know what that means. What do you, what, what is that? I mean, I guess yeah. it, it raises the opportunity to talk more about, like, what is the structure of a union? Yeah, from the member think, to the top guy in Washington. I think uh, this might be interesting for listeners to see how it all works. So, yeah, um, three times a year my union uh, has a delegate meeting where all the delegates from uh, every region in our jurisdiction, which is uh, Illinois – Missouri, Kansas, and Eastern Iowa uh, come together and um, you know basically go about the business of the union and make decisions. And it's kind of similar. Um, it, it mirrors how government operates. Like right. for, for my union, elect some delegates. Yes, there's an international, um, which would be similar to Congress. You yeah, know? and then we have uh, the regional council that I work for, which would be more like a state, a state delegation, a state legislature, and then it goes on to local level, uh, which would be kind of like um, you know city uh, city councils. And um, you know the, the way we're, we are structured is um, the locals uh, elect delegates, mm-hmm. and the delegates go to the uh, the regional council, and then. Um, those delegates are the ones who elect our leaders from our council. Um, they get to vote on the leadership at the international level. They are the ones who approve, um, you know, our, our finances, uh, expenditures, um, bylaws. Um, you know, there's there's committees that are involved with, um, you know, uh, when when a member could be brought up on charges for, right, for disciplinary violation, stuff. disciplinary hearings, it's like committees in Congress. Correct. Yeah. So okay. it, it's it's kind of something to watch it all operate. Is um is is kind of cool, and then um you know to get to get everyone coming together, you know you share what's going on in your different region, um you know how things are going on different jobs, how recruitment's going, et cetera, et cetera, and um yeah, I think it's just one of the cool parts of of being in a union and to see this form of democracy, yeah, you know, take shape. It's in, a pretty pure form of democracy, absolutely. And everyone, you know, any delegate, you know, can rise during the meeting and then ask a question. And um, I don't, know, I know other unions operate a little bit differently, but 
that just gives a little peek behind I think, the curtain of of you know the way things are structured and um I think, it's, it's definitely uh, you know a, a, a pure democracy yeah and and something that i think that's important that most people who haven't been in a union and even some people who are in a union might not know is that or might not realize is you talk about carpenters working in the field we'll use the carpenters as an example and then you have a local union, you have regional councils, you have an international union, you're moving further and further up. And this is where some people start to like to throw around the term union boss. Right. Um, as though they're somehow different. They have different jobs. But uh, all these people that you're talking about from, you know, the the delegates, uh, like a, a carpenter gets uh, brought on staff if he stands out for one reason or another. The, the delegates, they all started off as carpenters, people who get appointed to regional positions, international positions. Your general president, I mean, he was a carpenter. You're, you're uh, the, the head of the carpenters in the Midwest, Gary Perinart. He was a carpenter. Like, all these 40, people 40, are carpenters. 46 carpenter, right. So folks who, who like to throw around the union boss thing, the way that a union works is that it's a group of workers. That's what it is. Yes. That's what a union is. Yeah. They pool. They, they, don't, they don't bring in people who went to the Kellogg School Oh, of for sure. Yeah, you <laughs> exactly. want to talk about uh, right. If you ever had a, uh, like a union that was going to be run by a lawyer or something like Yikes. that, take construction workers and say, let's elect this lawyer to represent <laughs> us. And they'll be like, no, 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 not at Tarred all. Tired and feathered. Not at all. So the, whenever I hear the union boss thing or, you know, I support, uh, as, as Trump used to always say, I support union workers, but not those union bosses. It's like a union is a group. They are the workers. Yeah, it's a group Correct. of workers who say, hey, let's pull some money together. Let's, you know, get some representation and let's raise the, you know, raise our, our, uh, our standard of living. Um, and let's pick somebody to lead this thing. Right. So they pick the person that they think is the best and unions have elections. Um, so it's, it's purely democratic, but there are rare, very, very rare exceptions, but everyone I've come across in the labor movement, every boss, their sole purpose is to take care of their members. Cause think about it. If, if the members aren't happy, <laughs> the boss is gone. Right. So like that's, that's their primary incentive is to make sure that members are getting the best benefit increases, have the best representation, have the best voice in, uh, you know, a seat at the table. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's the way it works. And you know, it's, it's a peer of yeah. theirs. It's someone who, you know, a lot of times these delegates are electing someone who they worked in the field with. So they know right. that this guy's got the work ethic. He cares about what he does. He's professional. He'll be a great leader for us. Yeah. Um, or yeah. she. And, and every few years, there'll be a story somewhere in the country where some union leader did something illegal. Right. Um, you know, whether it's financial or, or whatever. Um, and nobody hates those stories more than union unions, members because yes. you have 99 people doing the best they can and and going out with uh, the members' interests in their hearts every day and every night. And then one person makes a cash grab and it just it reflects. Yes. I mean, it, and, but it, it seems like those stories are becoming more and more rare. They have. There's definitely right. been a downtick in that from, say, 15, 20 years ago. But, you know, it's, it's like any industry. Um, there's bad apples. Yeah, bankers. There's, there's crooked bankers. That doesn't mean every bank is crooked, though. You know, maybe I'd say more banks are crooked than unions. <laughs> I don't have any numbers Black to fire, back it up. But I, oh, no, we'll back that's up just a that. gut feeling. No. I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. That is objective for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was an interesting look. So, um, you know, we're, uh, we're headed into the holidays, but we're going to be with you every Sunday in December. So, um, you know, stick with us, and thanks for being with us this week. We've got to wrap up. But uh, thank you, Phil, and uh, be safe at those holiday parties. You too. Yeah, remember, just say you're going to the bathroom. Getting out, man. Pew, gone. Saving days. Yeah, I've got one later today, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to do the Irish farewell. So, Irish farewell, folks. It's a thing. at the Irish Fellowship. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the place to do it. How fitting. <laughs> so, take care, everybody. Have a uh, a great week. We'll see you back here next week on the Workers' Mic. 
The preceding episode of The Worker's Mic was powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. For additional information and podcasts of The Worker's Mic, visit WGNRadio.com.